Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Over to my favorite time of the week, and I'm delighted to have Dr. Todd Dewitt. And Todd is a fascinating guy and a keynote speaker, author of a number of books, um, which I'm going to come on to in a minute. Twice on TEDx, I, I really admire people who go on TEDx, twice on TEDx. And he also is one of the most popular LinkedIn instructors and authors. Uh, many of his videos you can watch on LinkedIn Learning. Uh, he's an executive coach to various people, began in Ernst & Young and Anderson Consulting, PhD in organizational behavior. Uh, authenticity is a big thing for Todd, and we found that in Ben and I just chatting to him already. We've really enjoyed the conversations we've had before the series. Um, Show Your Ink was uh, one of his early books, very successful, about the tattoos, and we'll come on to that later. And the book that's just about to come out is called Live Hard, not Die Hard, but Live Hard. So, Todd, Welcome. Great having you on the series. Thank you. That's a great intro. It's my pleasure. Good to see both of you. Hey, Todd. Well, well Todd, um, we, can hear, we can hear that good American accent. At the moment in Texas, uh, you've been there since, I think, 2013, but uh, you've lived in various parts of the world. Just begin with, you know, your current role, what the different things you're doing. You've got your hands in, in many different themes and also your leadership journey you know, and, and, the, and the way you, you realized that being authentic was the way to be. Sure. Uh, you just asked a professional speaker to start talking. Here we go. Uh, let's see how long the show is. <laughs> this is probably the luckiest person you'll talk to in quite a while. I, I uh, had different careers focused on doing things I love, and they help people at the same time, which makes me an amazingly lucky person. Uh, truth is, I was just a kid that wanted to play basketball who realized he couldn't play past college, and I gave it up, even though I had scholarships, and became a very young version of what I am now. So I decided just to go to college and, and study. Um, I was really, really turned on to becoming an intellectual and learning as much as possible. And I was drawn to science, especially social science. And so I, I started doing that and I fell in love with being a dork. And I've been being a dork ever since as an educator of different types. So what I do these days is write books, give a lot of speeches online and and in person, of course, we're hopeful we'll go back to that, make a lot of courses uh, online for LinkedIn and others. And in that, those are the things that really dominate my time. So I sit around, I'm, I'm very lucky, I, I keep saying this, I sit around and think about leadership and team success at work, fit, peace, fulfilling uh, life journeys. And then I get to share the ideas and the stories that people share with me and that I create on my own. And somehow it makes me a living, which makes me a very, very lucky person. Very lovely. Fantastic. Ben, over to you. Yeah. So, so with that decision, that must have been quite a. Was that a pivotal moment when you decided not to go down the, the sports route and then go go into the academic slide? You know, it's the truth is, uh, and I've written about this a little bit and talked about it on stage uh, many times. My father was a really serious alcoholic. And growing up, statistically, I know how many people listening to us right now can relate to that. And it's a whole lot of them. Growing up with that, you really wanted to be shielded from it in some way. For me, being uh, identified as an athlete and having positive attention as an athlete 
was a shield and it was useful uh, from that perspective. And somehow around uh, 1718, I realized I was not gonna be able to hang on to that forever and I needed to do something else to emerge as uh, me that I could own, maybe for a lifetime. And it's weird to say this, but again, I've written about it, I've talked about it. I, I wanted clearly to not be what my dad had created for himself, which was problematic to say the least. And he was well known in our little community near Memphis, Tennessee, uh, for what he was and a very successful, dedicated, problematic drinker. <laughs> had been removed from the stands of my basketball games by the police for disorderly contact, you know, many times, et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting that I admit and talk about how he was this compelling negative motivation for me to go become something very, very different than, than that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because number one, it's authentic and raw and should be shared with people so they can feel human and try and think positively about these things as well. But it's also fascinating because he quit not too many years after that and became my best friend and became an example of personal transformation in a way that would blow your mind. So the mm. story is difficult in the way those stories can be difficult. And it's also inspiring because it became something that proved to me that I'm not just sharing platitudes when I do what I do these days. I'm sharing the truth about possibilities we just have to believe and embrace because he showed me that was true. And if I could just come in and then pass back over to Ben, that, that really resonates for me. So uh, my first marriage of 23 years, sadly, my mother-in-law was an alcoholic as well. So we all got in, used to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, how to cope with that. Eventually, through various sad ways, it killed her in the end. Um, and I was listening to Brian Johnson, who I don't you know, in California. He runs Optimize. And I did one of his coach programs, which was quite fun. But he's come out and said look, his father was an alcoholic and his grandfather was an alcoholic as well. And like you, it was quite a motivational away from. He didn't want that. He wanted something different. And he's an incredibly inspiring, driven coach and leadership developer. But it's interesting how you and he share that. So thank you for sharing that, Tom. You're very welcome. And I'll also say this as I continue to hog time on your show without your permission. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is October and in the States. There's a little movement. I don't know how far it goes around the world, but there's a thing called Sober October. And mm -hmm. even though dad was a problem, I've always been a drinker and erred thankfully towards being a responsible drinker. And I hope to stay responsible for the rest of my life. But there are things uh, where people try and, and be smart about it. And in October, a lot of people give it up. And I am going to tell you live for the first time around planet Earth. Ready? I took a year off ending this Halloween from alcohol, inspired by several people I'll end up mentioning online when the time is right. And during that time, got more focused, more productive, lost 65 pounds because I started exercising on top of all the bad calories that I got rid of. <laughs> and I'm in much better shape for it. And, and I just like sharing that. It's exciting. And I hope others will consider uh, productive moves for themselves too. Congratulations. Amazing. Yeah, it, it makes a massive difference as well, doesn't it? Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've done a similar thing. And I, what, what really struck me was the amount of time you win back, um, the amount of time you win back not feeling rough in the morning and things like that. Even <laughs> There's just benefit after benefit. I mean, you're honest to say that even a 10, 15 percent jump in, in clarity, focus and uptime, yeah. call it yeah. what you want, is significant over time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, it sounds like you've 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 had this sort of 
there's been ups and downs, but you've you've got to a point where you 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 were actually doing stuff that you love and 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 made that decision early of following that sort of path of doing something you love. Um, is there a piece of advice that you wish you'd had when you were were starting out when you were a young man? Yeah, many many pieces of advice. I'll give you one that's probably the best. If you're smart and an overachiever, you run into mental traps. And I know that I did as well, because you think Mm. you know what you're doing and you think you know that you're smart. So the piece of advice to answer your question is that much earlier, I wish I would have been open to coaching and mentoring and sought that out more proactively, more aggressively, instead of thinking, look at me, I know what I'm doing out of my way. Uh, I hung on to I know what I'm doing too long. And it was it was early 30s before and I'll be 50 shortly. It was early 30s before I completely kind of just openly and obviously said, I need to just glom on to some productive, awesome people who can teach me a ton more than I know. And it's been extremely beneficial, but it took me too long to get there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's, I read a book recently. I can't remember what it's called now. And It's about the power of asking for help. And if you look at like the group of people you work with or friends and family, if you ask like 98% of them want to be helpful to other people. The bottleneck is people don't ask for help, and then if you if you can create that 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 um, that actual sort of almost um, fragility to be able to ask for help, it opens up just so many doors and accelerates people's careers and accelerates people's um, um, life. It's a, it's a really good point. Yeah, and and I wanted to pick up a point on that as well as bringing on Caroline Watkins' great question. Mm. But um, Leadership is Language by Admiral David Marquet, the, the uh, American writer, I love his work, Turn the Ship Around with one of his books. But he talks about, do you have a prove mindset or an improve mindset? That you're trying to prove you're right or you're prepared to let go of stuff. And I know, I even had an incident the other day where I was hanging on to something and I had to let go of it and go, yeah, let's do this new thing's much better than what, what I was hanging on to. Let's let's bring up Caroline's bit if we can. Uh, yeah, definitely. There's already a couple of nice comments there. There's there's comments about um, uh, they love your comments and they they love being a dork, which is uh, good. But uh, uh, Caroline's brought up a question just uh, about um, Doctor Cod, Doctor Todd. Sorry, obvious question, but how do you recommend being we develop authentic human connections remotely? It's a great question. Uh, you know, there's been so much conversation around uh, how do we connect effectively in any fashion uh, remotely since the pandemic has changed all of our lives. And the answer is Spinal Tap. The answer is you got to turn it up to 11. And what I mean by that, and some of you get that reference. What yeah. I mean by that <laughs> is that you have to stop doing the classic mistake that people who are presenting make. If you see someone in the hallway who you know at work, they're like this and they're talking and they're vibrant and they're normal and how you doing? And you see emotions all over them because that's how humans speak and communicate. And then they present and all of a sudden for reasons that are hard to understand, they shut down everything and become so boring and so censored and filtered, it's unbelievable. Online, a lot of us have that tendency, just like when we're presenting, and I'm telling you right now, build awareness that you're doing it, stop doing it, and go one step, go to 11, in the other direction. The more you can look at that camera and actually show your emotion, because you've only got this much instead of your whole body, your face in particular, that's your voice and all these muscles, man, you are wise to do it. Yes, you have to learn how to modulate it. You can't be on 11 full time. (laughs) Having said that 
you're supposed to stop shutting down and get a little more honest in what you say and how you say it compared to normal. And that overcomes any potential downside of looking into a camera. That's great. Great answer. How, how do you maintain that or, or, or I suppose regulate your energy a little bit? Because I, I think there's lots of people that almost got worn out by the whole the sort of Zoom fatigue which people are talking about. And, and some people are almost over indexing on let's do a team event. Let's do do. I don't know. <laughs> let's get together for drinks and bingo on Zoom. Um, and it gets a bit much. So how do you sort of pick your times and, 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 and regulate your energy on that? Well, there's a couple of thoughts there. And I think you experiment and find what works best for you. Having said that, you do not want to be on full time. Wow, 11, right? Uh, and you don't want to be off full time. That is a very unimpressive and you're just missing opportunities and making all kinds of impressions you probably didn't even know you were making by tuning out the whole time. So my advice is to show up with one or two things you know are going to be talked about that you're going to use when you hear them come up as times you will turn it on and be heard and engage. That's one approach. Plan, know what's coming and use the triggers that you hear because you plan for them. Another, and this is equally as useful for other people, is to give yourself a very good answer about the number of times you definitely need to stop being a wallflower and start engaging. So I, I use three as a magic number for a whole lot of people. You'll find your best number, but you're going to have a normal, I'm listening, the boss is talking and other reasons that we tune out. Great. But you see with a visual reminder that you wrote down three to remind you that at least three times you're going to be all you can be. You're going to be on, you're going to be engaged for them, for you and for the issues that matter. And then every time it happens, you can just make a little mark right there. I've got two more to go. It's a very simple off camera way to remind yourself you can't be a wallflower uh, full time. Brilliant. Love it. Great stuff. Thanks, Caroline. And, and, and then really we were talking about your life stories and the highs and lows and what what came to the authenticity. What about your proudest moments, Todd, and also your darkest moments? Um, tell us something raw. Proudest moments, Ross. Uh, I'll start with the difficult stuff. I already mentioned Dad, and it was a it was a very difficult childhood with a, uh, actually both parents were alcoholics, but Dad was the uh, unpleasant type we all know about, who you know walks home because he can't find his car, or the police bring him home, etc. Uh, Mom was the funny drunk, and that's not a good thing, but by contrast, it felt that way when I was young. Uh, watching those two become radically better versions of themselves when I was a young adult. Dad quitting, mom moderating, I'll say, and becoming a far better version of herself, uh, and she really was. And because of that, the three of us learning to talk in a new way, learning to overtly forgive and forget and embrace a new chapter and renew our commitment to each other and love and all that. That was an example, I used the word transformation before, of, a, of truly some low points in my adolescence uh, becoming high points, the same topic, the same people becoming high points. It's amazing to me. Um, in terms of low points, uh, I remember not getting a dream job. I love sharing this with people because you got to keep things in perspective. Remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. That's what a career is. I remember coming out of an MBA program and I wanted to work for that brand name firm. And I applied at P&G, Procter & Gamble, and was, was happily turned down because they gave a standardized test. And I apparently did not pass. 
And that felt like uh, it felt like I was being invalidated and told I was not all the smarts that I thought I was, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, it's funny to me looking back on it, how much that hurt, and how embarrassed I was in front of my parents and a few colleagues at school and a few friends uh, and a few friends I had who worked for that organization who also hated giving me that news. And it's funny looking back on that because what I know now in mean, one of my areas is creativity and innovation. And one of the punchlines there is that learning and errors and mistakes and setbacks and failures are normal and good if you're smart enough to figure that out. And I had to figure it out myself by screwing up and coming up short on a, a variety of things such as that interview, that job for Procter & Gamble. So what was once this moment to cry alone and feel embarrassed and not nearly as good as I thought I was, which is how I felt, uh, when you look back at it, it becomes something I, I feel a lot of odd pride about. You know why? Because the life worth living, and I preach this and I believe this, is one where you tried. You tried as much as you could, as many times as you could, and you did so through the ups and the downs. That's the sign of most genius people, not IQ, but the fact that they screwed up and failed, learned something and tried again. It really is the hallmark of most successful people. Yeah, it's very good. And, and it's particularly interesting that you chose academia as, a, as an area to go into. A book I'm reading at the moment, Head, Heart and Hands, is that, you know, the period you were, you were invested in, IQ was the big thing. But now we're seeing in the pandemic that actually we appreciate the nurses and the people with the caring professions and the guys who are delivering stuff and um, handing out food and things like that. And, and that perhaps it will come back to a bit of a balance where years ago, it wasn't important what qualification you had, but now the big thing has been IQ. To, I don't know what your view is about the shift to value EQ as well and working with smart people who have no interpersonal skills. What's your experience? Absolutely huge topic, man. So I've said many times intelligence is best measured, not by IQ, but by kindness. And uh, many versions of that have been out there, of course. And I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, IQ, by the way, according to the social sciences, is extremely predictive and useful of, of quality behaviors at work. So you can't discount that. What you have to say now, because of the rise of EQ and related concepts, is that we now know that that is a beautiful foundation. It's not the end of the discussion. It's a beautiful beginning to the discussion. The question for me, and I, I'm, what I do these days is I translate and make practical what we've learned in the social sciences for the last hundred years as opposed to sounding like a scholar. I'm very practical on purpose. And IQ is an interesting thing, but it's about potential. The question is, how do you unlock that potential with real human beings at work who have to interact with each other, deal with personalities, role constraints, resource constraints, all the things we see at work. And the answer to that question is about kindness. It's about empathy. It's about supportiveness. It's about being helpful. It's all the people side of the equation that does or does not allow someone to add value with IQ. So when I meet smart people, especially back in the day when I was in the classroom, I used to put them on notice. You may or may not kill it like you think you're going to in your career, not dependent on your IQ, but how well you learn to understand and value yourself and others. That is to say relationships. Yeah. Uh, that's so key. And talk about good relationships. The person who recommended you for this series and said he found you very inspiring was Devin Harris, the three times Olympian, cool runnings, uh, Jamaican bobsleigh team. What was the connection between you and Devin? How, how did you get to know each other? It's a great question. It, there really wasn't because we live in this strange world the last few decades where people can get to know each other only virtually. He was aware of my, my work and presence online, reached out, started a conversation. Great.
lovely story. And what about the proudest moment of your of your life in your career? Oh, proudest. Um, I would say that I'm okay. Here's the proudest. This is this is bragging. You ready? I walked away from a uh, tenured for life. I used to be a professor. I had tenure for life. Uh, I was a dean for a little while, probably the world's worst dean. Great professor, not a great administrator. You got to find your role. That's what I'm an example of throughout life. You got to find where you fit. I love that word. I'm proud uh, in terms of a high moment of walking away from that security net for ever in choosing to be a solopreneur to do versions of what we're doing right now for a living for the rest of my life. And we're many years in and it's going very well. And that makes me lucky. That makes me grateful. And frankly, I, I do feel pride around that. It's, it's lovely. Uh, solopreneur. I, I love that expression. My friend Oliver Johnson, who uh, is equally very kind and a, a very inspiring uh, coach and leader, uh, he's about 10 years my senior and quite a mentor for me. Oliver said, Jonathan, what happened was you left, you left corporate life and ran away to join the circus and you became a leadership coach. And it's a bit like that. You also ran away to join the circus and just live a different life. And it's it's been hugely rewarding for me and clearly for you. Maybe not for me financially so much, but um, it certainly has been as far as my dharma and following a life calling. Um, and it seems like you're right in the zone, aren't you? I got to tell you, money is fascinating and useful and lovely. If you have it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's it's. I, people say it can't buy happiness. They're wrong. The way I rephrase that is that that there's so much more, nonetheless, than money. And what we go, what we find out as solopreneurs, even through the ups and downs of finances that some of us face, for sure, is that there is a a valuable benefit to being honest, to being authentically you, to being straight with people, to doing things you find useful to helping others on your terms. Those are invaluable things. Uh, um, I've met so many corporate survivors. And by the way, corporations are fascinating to me. It's what I've studied for years. They are my bread and butter audience. I love and revere them. It's who I go help achieve things on, on the regular. But I couldn't do what they do. I have to be outside, creative, and far less filtered and so I just I'd love to tell anyone listening, yeah, there's risks involved. And if you leave to try and be like us, good for you. And it could hurt for a long time. But at least at least you get to scratch that itch. You get to understand it instead of dream about it. You get to say, I tried it. Hell or high water. I tried it. And when you think about high points, low points to your question. I think about my children. A lot of people said to me, I'm, I'm dead serious, gentlemen. A lot of people said to me. You have two small children, which I did both elementary school at the time I quit the, the secure job for life. You're a dad. What are you doing giving up the security when you have to take care of these children? What do you have to say about that? I heard from multiple people and I said to them, let me tell you what I'm doing. I know that things may go up and down financially. Who knows? I can't control it, but I have to do this. Why? Because I want them to know you're supposed to dream. You're supposed to try. Sometimes you will fail, but it's worth it to have lived fully, really fully, not just to live safely. I mean that. And I've said a million versions of it. And now I've lived it instead of just preached it, which makes me better than most people who talk for a living. <laughs> and we're not going to put these um, up because I don't really question them more comments, but I just want to read out. Laura Dean said, it's so humbling to hear you talk about your life and how you openly share everything with us because uh, this makes you human, normal. Maybe I'm normal too. Thank you, Todd. Another LinkedIn user said, I'm not a reader, but one book I did read and one that I think you'd all enjoy and is up your street is Flip It, 
how to get the best out of everything by Michael Heppel. And Michael is going to be coming on our series. We're going to uh, get him on here. So I don't know any thoughts from that, um, Todd, from those two comments? Well, first to Laura, hello, and thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I think that we have been trained to censor in hilariously unproductive ways and work, all of its good intentions aside, is a big part of that. We go to work and we act every day. We act, we act, and we act, which is funny because none of us have been trained to be actors. Having said that, interesting things do happen when you go ahead and follow the example that we're trying to set in this conversation and get a little more honest about our reality. It is not always easy. It is not always safe. I'm happy to deep dive on that in my books and writings or in this conversation, but it is the preferable path and on average does tend to cultivate better, more interesting, more purpose-filled relationships. Excellent. <laughs> so it's it's great to get the comments and, it, and it'd be nice to get some more questions from the people that are watching. Do chip in. It'd be great to, to hear from you. Um, excuse the background noise. My, my little one has come home. Um, but uh, uh, moving on to a different subject. So you've obviously been successful in finding something which, which has really sort of inspired you, Todd. Um, and what are the habits that have sort of made you successful? We, we always sort of put that around healthy, wealthy, and wise and, 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 and ask questions around that. So for you, um, both sort of mentally and physically, what are the habits that you, you employ to, to, to keep you healthy? Well, I've mentioned one uh, recently, great question, and that is uh, I, I, had, I had a good five to seven years, depends on how you look at it, where I neglected my health way too much. And what I can say now, having come out of a period of being too lazy with my health, is that the tie, the, the, the relationship between your mental reality and your physical reality is very, very real. And I've heard that from a million people, and I don't think I ever understood it until I was now almost 50. Uh, because having really gotten focused on health, my brain is just, feels far more alive than it did just a couple of years ago. So I'm quite grateful for that. Better uh, answer to your question is, you know, find fit, take the risks. It's a big part of this book you mentioned called Live Hard is about taking principled risks as a part of living a full life. And I think that's I think that you have to do that. And the more you find fit, meaning an alignment uh, between your interests, your personality, and what you actually do to make a dollar in this world. Once those get closer and closer, that's fit. The stronger the fit is, the more work doesn't feel like a job. So mm. this will sound strange to some of you, but a whole lot of Friday, excuse me, Saturdays and Sundays, I'm working. Now that probably sounds nightmarish to a lot of people. Just sounds like another fun day for me. Sometimes it's one hour, sometimes it's seven hours, but wherever I am, whether it was an airplane involved or not, there's a laptop and I, I have ideas and I get to share them with the world or just write whatever's coming up for me and get work done, coaching people uh, online, etc. So fit, work on fit, work on fit. That's huge. And then I'll give one more little quick answer to your question. And that is be open to feedback, seek feedback. Again, uh, all of us need it. But especially those who think they're 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 kind of having a clue and they're somebody, we need it even more. Take my word for it. People, this is a psychological reality. I don't act like a scholar, but I used to be. Listen, 
the gap between how you perceive yourself and how others view you is always real. Let me say that again. It's always there. The only question is whether that gap is small or large. And for most people, it's far larger than it needs to be because we don't like to look in the mirror and actually silence ourselves and go seek feedback from people who might have something candid and useful to say to us. And the faster you figure that out, the faster you will get over yourself and start hearing some things that will be very useful to you. Yeah, I love that. And, and have you got any advice about the best way of approaching someone to get some candid feedback? It takes practice, but the, the biggest piece of advice there is to uh, not go after just friends. Go after someone who has insight into who you are as a professional, who you believe will be candid, not just fluffy. You are not trying to do this just to get another stroke, another little ego stroke and compliment. You're doing this to, he to have someone say that which needs to be said, whether you want to hear it or not. And then you have to train them. This is the, the last part of the answer. You have to train them because they're not used to, most of us are not used to going, here's some candor for you. No. <laughs> We're, we're used to being sweet and kind and nice and full of innuendo and beating around the bush and really kind of avoiding critical things at all costs. And that comes from a good place. But if you want to improve, can't do that. High-performing teams, high-performing individuals cultivate and empower and expect candid feedback. Mm -hmm. Great. Great advice. Um, and, and just on to moving on to the wealthy sort of side of things, obviously there's a lot of people struggling now, um, both in, uh, with, with employment, with, with new jobs and, and getting by um, uh, on most part. Is there any advice you can give to, to, to people around money or, 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 or about wealth that you've found useful over the years? Wow. Uh, well, you're right. Uh, and because I'm very connected to a lot of people, I've heard so mm. many comments, so many discussions that I've been pulled into that are uplifting and often very difficult because, well, the pandemic has been very, very, very difficult. So I'll just say uh, I've always, my dad gave me this, one of the great things, live within your means, not a joke. Stop getting excited about the fact that people will give you credit just because. <laughs> I tell my teenage boys all the time because uh, they're excited about the idea of having credit cards. No, no, don't be excited. <laughs> be scared. <laughs> So I, I, I'm one of those people who preaches live within your means for sure. Um, then I would say, don't forget that you've been there and that you're not alone. Let me just hit those real quick. You've been there. The pandemic has been painful in new ways, but you've been there your life. And that is almost literally every single person watching. You've been down things that are difficult. You didn't see coming that hurt and you, you thought you couldn't recover from have happened before. And what did you do if you're listening to me right now? You survived. It sounds trite. It's not. It's a perspective you have to remember. And I have to remind myself of the same thing. You have survived. You have survived. You will do it again. And the last thing is, guess what? Uh, I don't know how much this will help you, but I hope it, it gives some comfort. You're not alone. I immediately lost six figures in income thanks to the pandemic because speaking live with real people has not been very popular for quite a while now. And I don't know when it's coming back. We all have our own version of making a pivot and dealing with this odd unexpected reality. I just want people to know you can survive. You're not alone. And accepting that is step one to formulating a plan that's going to get you through this. It's so nice to hear uh, a fellow sort of coach and speaker recognize that. And I found a 80% drop in my turnover and 90% drop in my profits, which I wasn't seeing coming in that just sort of six month, first half of the year and the second half of the year, when, when the moment came, as uh, almost like the 1st of April. Um, 
But if we talk about inspiring leaders, you know, Todd, uh, Todd, you, you were really uh, already proving what Dev and Harris had said that you're inspiring. Who would be the two inspiring leaders that you'd recommend? They might be in in our profession, or they might be uh, you know business leaders. But who would you like to see on the show that you think um, are really inspiring people? I'll give you three because I don't think you can get the first one. Uh, <laughs> through the pandemic, I have been very inspired by Bill Gates. I'm just going to throw that out there. This is a loud, proud guy who makes philanthropy real and also loves science probably more than anything else. And that just inspires me and makes me happy. So if you get him on the show, I'm going to be bragging about you two forever. <laughs> uh, if I was going to go closer to home, I can think of, again, two's impossible. I'll mention, I'll mention three and then you can follow up. I think of Dave Crenshaw. He's a fellow author on LinkedIn Learning, an amazing guy who does somewhat related work to me around productivity. And he's just a a diligent, credible, practical, uh, interesting, inspiring educator. I look up Dave Crenshaw and uh, consider him. And I also think uh, Stan Phelps, who who is a marketing person as opposed to more of a leadership person, but he actually does a lot of different things. Also very inspiring, educational, useful fella. And then the third one, maybe my maybe my favorite answer to your question, I would tell you is a woman named Dana Steele. Dana is, is well, as big as me or bigger in, in the speaking world. She's um, interesting. She is a, a Texas Rock Radio Hall of Fame DJ for many years, uh, and, and just she was the voice in the ear of millions of people that inspired them. And uh, since retiring from that, she has become a speaker and writer of some repute around different issues in leadership and women in leadership and so on. And we're good friends. She's uh, out of Houston, Texas. And I think you should look up Dana because one of the cool things about how she approaches educating and sharing in the leadership space is by referencing examples and showing pictures from the thousands of rock stars that she met over the years, which makes me so jealous. You name a rock star. She has met that person as they came through town to do concerts and interviews. So I think you should check her out. <laughs> Some great shouts there. And, and yeah, if we could get Bill on here, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Um, have you seen his, uh, the series on Netflix Yeah, yeah, good stuff. inside his mind? Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. If, if, if anyone's listening, get, do watch it. It's amazing. The work they're doing in the built in the, in the Gates foundation is, um, phenomenal. We've got loads of questions, loads of comments, which have been, um, been coming in. So I think we'll just, um, go through a couple of those. Um, so uh, I'll have to look who this is, but it's a LinkedIn user. Uh, uh, but they're looking at um, even after all your success, what do you still struggle with um, professionally? Hmm. So this is going to surprise you. It's a great question. Uh, I, I preach authenticity. I write about it. And I think that to the best of my ability, I try to live it. It's also true that I can't live it fully. I've actually I've actually written about this. You, to be to be authentic is not to be unfiltered. So one thing I struggle with is the fact that I can't be 100% honest with you about whatever it is we're talking about. I tend to be a higher level of, of candid, forthright, honest, call it what you want, than you're used to. And I'm grateful for that. I love it. I hope it inspires others to do the same. I can't, however, be 100%. I, I, I can't, I can't uh, change the configuration of this guy right here when my when my mood hits me because it could be inappropriate. That would be unfiltered and maybe get me in trouble. So I look at certain people, even Dana, who I mentioned to you, is one of those people who, who probably flirts with being unfiltered more than uh, I ever do or maybe more than she should sometimes. But I, 
I admire that. And I don't think humans fully reach their potential in a relationship context until we approximate being unfiltered, not in a mm -hmm. negative way, but in an honest, caring, hopefully responsible way. I still struggle with my brand. Dr. Do it, the loud guy in the leadership space, the bald guy with the tap, that guy. I still struggle with how much I can be in your face, honest, the way I want to be. And I always find myself and it drives me crazy pulling back a little bit so that I inspire and educate and bring people in without offending too many people. That was from Amy Schellenberg, that question. Um, Caroline says, is she allowed two questions? I think so, Caroline, this time. What are Todd's top tips for working successfully remotely? Top tips for working remotely. I have a short course for anyone that's interested on that topic over at LinkedIn. Uh, and it's practical and simple like most things I do. So um, dedicated space. It's hard to do. I know that. Dedicated space. And ded this is great. You ready? Negotiated agreements with the people in your life about that work time and that dedicated space. You got a door on the hinges over there for a reason. Use it. Put a sign on it. Put a clock on it. If there's not emergencies involved, you have to learn to protect your time. I actually love this topic in general at work. At home, dedicated space so you can develop productive spaces to do routines around the work. And then you have to, and this is it, get to protect that space. And over time, when you're not working, go show a lot of love for those folks because the more the more you do that correctly, the less they're going to violate the sanctity of that space during your work time. If you can just learn to draw that line, your productivity will flat out go up just because of the lack of interruptions. That's probably my number one piece of advice. Yeah, it's been difficult during the the lockdowns how how life has sort of spread into work and and, and you need to just have those like delinearize a little bit of time. Um, definitely, you, you don't get your own time um, hardly at all now. Um, I'm just sort of scanning through the questions. There's so many out here. <laughs> we I'll put up a long one. We may have to um, change the view, but oh, that's no, okay. Okay, what was the catalyst to align your career with your interests? Was there one moment or experience that made you realize you wanted to change direction? Thanks, Emma. Yeah, Emma, thank you very much. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So uh, during my time at Ernst & Young, brief period of working for the large consulting firms, uh, I realized a few things. It wasn't one moment, a series of moments in a short period of time, though. Uh, I realized I was bright by common standards, and that was affirming and useful. Uh, I realized relationships were fascinating as a thing in our lives. And I realized people in business weren't great at them. And I also realized I didn't fit well at all inside a traditional corporate hierarchy. So these things were doing this in my head over a year or two's time. And the, then I realized something. I realized as I was pondering that and frankly, not not happy. There was a phone call and there were tears involved with my mother back in the day where I was telling her how unhappy I was. Everyone thought I had a prestigious job, young up and comer, all that, Ernst and Young, blah, blah, blah. And I was un unhappy to the point of being miserable, frankly. And on a call with her, she helped me realize that just being honest about it made me ahead of most people, which sounded weird, but she was right. And I believe that. And then because of that conversation with her pushing me to feel okay and normal about, about this situation, 
I realized something. I realized I could be facet, remain fascinated by people and relationships and corporate life and how it makes the planet tick for better or for worse from a different perspective, from a different role. And it, boom, just hit me. I could go study this in more depth than I ever thought about. And I decided then and there to go get a PhD and stay very involved in all these issues from a very different perspective. So the fact that I found affirmations and found some misery about not fitting in inspired a new perch I went and chased where I could study these things from a, a place, here's that word again, that fit me, which is what I'm always encouraging you guys to do. I'm going to go find that place, even if it's risky, because it's so worth it, where you fit properly. This this reminds me of the late Sir Ken Robinson, who, as you know, is one of the top TED speakers, sadly passed away this year. But great. He was a great inspiration to me. Uh, you know, moved from England to America. And his audiobook, I, I would commend to anybody, The Element. And being, like you're saying, when you find it what it is, uh, you know, my moment of when I realized that, you know, I, I thought I was doing well. I crashed and burned as an instructor at Santos. I got an average report having been outstanding. And I realized I wanted to learn about how to do it. And my late father, who was killed when I was three, was the inspiration for that. So that was my moment, my sort of dharma, when I found my journey, my calling. You clearly had it too. And, and a number of people have this moment when it's like, it's just not working. I failed at something. I'm not doing well. What is it that, that when I'm in the element, in my element, because we're all different, we've all got something we've just got to find it what's your I'll, thought? I'll go further actually your comments really inspired me i'll go even further and say i've met a lot of people who like me kind of knew the answer and have denied it passionately ever since we don't like to take risks this is a big theme in live hard man what are you so afraid of we all were born yesterday die tomorrow the risks really aren't that big the whole steve Jobs stanford commencement speech which i reference in the book uh, is just spot on with what it's trying to tell people I knew at age 12, I was a talker and an educator. I knew it. I was the guy who the friends came to to talk to when things were going weird. I, I was just always that person. Now I get paid for it. Then it was just a thing I did. Uh, most people, or certainly a lot of people, have a clear clue about that thing that they kind of know is them, and they have not pulled the trigger because they're scared about their obligations and other very real concerns that are real, should be managed, but should not limit your life the way they do limit your life. And in fact, Yumang uh, Panchal has a great question to do with that, really. And, and this yeah. is what you just said. Were you always outspoken? And if not, how did people react when you started speaking your mind? Yumang, what a question. Thanks, Yumang. <laughs> I'm going to stay with, with the honest kind of topic I brought up with, is, which is fit. Here's a funny thing. If you find where you belong, the, the, and you act the way you act, it's received generally good, if not great. But if you're in a place where you don't fit and you act in that same way, it very often makes you a pariah, makes you unpopular, gets you in trouble, makes you you know, looked at as somehow a person who can't perform well. When I was just to pick on myself, when I was a professor, I would be this guy so loud. I got really tenure and no one could touch me. Right. And I could be loud and proud and, and everyone, the students in particular. And that's all I cared about really was the students or that I cared about the most. They loved it. Forthright, colorful, useful. They loved it. Then I became an administrator for a short period of time. I was a dean over an MBA program and the same characteristics came out because I have a strong personality and I can't 
hide them. Exact same person, radically different reception. Put me into a room with bureaucrats at a university and let me be me. And they immediately go, please, someone contain this person. Please, someone let that guy stop talking. So it's not about right or wrong. Stop thinking so much about am I good or am I bad? That's not useful. Think instead about fit and finding where you actually comfortably fit. You are so right. And it's triggered another thought for me. When I was, I was 20 years in the army as an army officer, and I wrote a book, a little a, a draft book called The Army Needs More Mavericks with some cartoons and things like that. And I shared it with uh, now Lord Dannett, General Sir Richard Dannett. And I said, look, I'm thinking of, of publishing this. And he went, don't publish. If you want a career in the army, don't publish. And do you know what? I didn't. Uh, I haven't got the manuscript. Anyway, it's gone now. But it was this point about I fitted in with the system. I was OK as an army officer, but now I can just be myself. And and you made the point there. You've got to you've got to be comfortable in your own skin. And if you've got to you know, be a second-class version of somebody else. It's not the right thing. There's only one of you. Just be you, be in your element. It sounds so easy, and the reason my career is focused on these topics is because in practice, it's very hard for a lot of people to behaviorally embrace what you just shared as obvious. It is the most obvious, but they're scared to embrace it. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Definitely. So, so we're just going to touch on COVID um, because it's obviously been uh, something that has been so um, seismic in, in people's lives over, over the last year. It'd be it'd be good to sort of um, from from your your point of view um, how it's uh, how it's sort of um, affected you um, in in the US. Well, it's been terrible. Uh, our leadership, according to most observers in the world, has, has not been effective in uh, educating people and in put, putting in practices that might contain this or, or get us through it. And that's unfortunate. I hope that changes. Boy, oh boy, do I hope that changes. But from my perspective, connected to a lot of people doing these this career-related stuff, leadership-related mm -hmm. things, um, it's been humbling as a reminder that we're all connected, we're all uh, vulnerable, that we all need help and support. And frankly, it's been kind of inspiring, as difficult as it has been, because so many more people have found a light within themselves that they wish to share with others to say what I said, which is you've done this before. You're going to survive. You're not alone, as well as to more overtly help. Uh, I've done tons of this pro bono for people online like you can't believe. Yes, I'll listen to your pitch. Yes, I'll read your resume, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, trying to give useful, practical advice to people who, who need a leg up. Uh, it's hurt me for sure. I've had to repivot. There's that word we've abused pivot, boy. But it's true what we've all had to do. Rethink. So we've been talking about a continuous learning for all kinds of years now. But now people are taking it seriously because there's so much more available from LinkedIn Learning to many other great platforms and outlets, podcasts, et cetera. And people need it because their job is becoming more difficult and they, they risk being obsolete according to uh, artificial intelligence or they've lost their job because of, the, of COVID and they have to reskill as quickly as possible. Uh, I've had to do the same shift in certain ways because uh, of uh, an inability to get face to face with people. So I'm fascinated that it's it's hit us so hard and it's it's so shocking, but it really is an interesting microcosm. I hope we never forget about how we can't rest on our laurels, about how things that feel wonderful today can change tomorrow, and that it's our job as difficult as it is to step up and make a plan to deal with that, and then maybe turn towards empathy and help our neighbor do the same. Well, that's, that's really good. And if I could build on Ben's point, where, where do you see, you know, if, if you're predictive, no one knows what future, you know, 
companies that uh, I work with, they used to have three to five year strategies. They've got three to five week strategies at the moment. They, they don't know what's coming down the line. We, we made a mess of things with Brexit as well to add to all the other pain that we're going through. But but what do you see going to be happening in the next year to two years? And how long will this thing run, do you reckon? And how are we going to adjust our lives to, to fit with it in the work environment? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think you're going to see very significant increases in uh, permanent, uh, distant, remote working. I think you're going to see people uh, admitting for the first time that there's not always something magical about sitting in a gray cube next to someone named Bob. <laughs> the truth is we have overvalued office life. Uh, for example, there's this trend in the business literature for years where we talked about, hey, we need open offices. We need flexibility so people can collaborate. And they talked about it like crazy. And then after finally a whole lot of people started to adopt it, there were other voices like me going, don't go too far. You're missing the point here. We actually need balance and flexibility in offices because once we go open, 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 what you're going to have is no one can concentrate because everyone's yelling and I hear everything. And so we, what we need is, is balance and we need, we need both. We're overvaluing certain things. And what we've been overvaluing that we now know because of COVID is life in the office being somehow supremely better. It's not. It might be under certain circumstances. So one, you're going to see a permanent new group of people uh, who have a greater justification and better tools and we're building experience working remotely. Number two, I think uh, work's going to be hardcore impacted on the educational side. I think you're going to see tons of universities change radically and a whole bunch of them go bankrupt. And that's unfortunate. Uh, I'm from that world. So I say this with a little bit of authority. I think that they have had a model that's questionable for a good 20, 25 years at least. And it's been laid bare and they're in deep, deep trouble as a result. And the numbers are, are looking very, very scary. And corporations are going to, they are going to, they are leading the way in terms of saying, that's okay, we still need people, we still need education. How should this evolve? Number one, they're starting to say degrees are useful and interesting. They're not required anymore. Big boys are starting to say that left and right. And they're starting to value properly and find ways to credential and value podcast micro training like people like me do on LinkedIn and many other non-degree options that help people become skilled. Because corporations used to sit around and say something silly. Oh, you have a degree. I thus know you're qualified to come work in this role, which is an absurd thing to say if you think about it, because you have a degree means you studied and passed some tests. That's all it means. It's never been massively predictive of success at work. Not a little bit, yes, but not massively. Now we're getting honest about that. That's painful and long-term, it is useful. I'm not saying I'm glad for the pandemic or for the troubles universities are going through, but I am happy to see a, a corporations waking up to the need to get honest about what education should look like coming in the door as a predictor for success at work. Mm -hmm. Oh, brilliant. And, and sadly, we, we're coming towards the end, and I'll let Ben ask the last couple of questions, but um, I just found this fabulous, the energy, the insights. We, we, could, uh, we could have you know, hours with you, and we'd still <laughs> not uh, drain the swamp, if they uh, use that uh, expression. What, what up than the other guys when he said he's going to do it. I don't know. But anyway, enough about uh, American aphorisms. Ben, <laughs> last, last couple of uh, questions, please. Sure, sure. So, so obviously people have been through real crisis and change, and we're going to see lots more change um, over the next six to 12 months. And, and, and there's going to be lots of sort of challenges that people have leading companies and leading teams. What are your sort of tips to, to for leaders for, for and members of teams uh, to, to, to be leaders through these situations? 
Oof, uh, you know, I'll try and give a short answer. It's hard for me, but here it goes. Uh, <laughs> it's a very tough time and people are hurting and find your productive way to go recognize that. So for example, I've got courses on burnout and stress and, and challenging times and things like that. Uh, and, and they're practical and simple. Uh, you should go find those resources, podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs, go find those resources and, and figure out that your people need to hear something from you. And it can be as simple as you listening more and validating their experience, but you know, giving props here to my mental health friends who have, have had a, a crisis on their hands to say the very, very least. Uh, people need to feel connected. And if, as a leader today, if you can at least help people stay connected on a positive, honest, authentic, authentic tip, man. Help them stay connected instead of allowing themselves to over-isolate and dwell on the challenges that we face. You will have done your team and that individual, most importantly, a serious service because resilience starts with a positive perspective and that is aided by staying connected to positive others, not over-isolating. Lovely, lovely. We've had some lovely comments just sort of finishing up. People have people have um, said um, love the answers you've given. Great to hear your insights. Um, another one suggested that um, uh, be kind would be a good answer to the last, last question. Um, finally, I know um, we, we always ask uh, for a book recommendation, um, and uh, we, we also wanted to mention your your book again, Todd, um, uh, which is. It's gone in my head. <laughs> Live hard. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a moment there where I was like, "It's not because the the, the the Will Ferrell film Get Hard." <laughs> I was like, that in my mind, I was like, "It's not that." <laughs> Live hard, which is um, which is out now. <laughs> but uh, but, apart, but apart from that, is there a good good book which is either. Um, sort of touched your life or been been important to you during during the pandemic. It's great. Um, I'm going to mention two because I, I can't I can't say no to classics when someone asks a question like this. But I'll start with the uh, the recent one. I read a book called Fantasyland by uh, Kurt Anderson, and I think it's fascinating. The uh, United States is is bizarre and interesting and amazing in some unique ways. And one of them is that we have a large number of people who are willing to believe fantastical things, and, and that's odd and inspiring and often just more problematic, frankly, than anything. How did we get here? How did that happen? It's a fascinating book, uh, an easy to read historical book on the, the the societal tendency of believing fantastic things from flat earths to what have you in the States that I think a lot of people would find interesting if you're interested mm. in how we all think and interested in education and interested in history. So that's one. The other one is the classic uh, that I love, period, and it's so relevant now. And it's called The Goal by Eli Goldratt, if you haven't heard of it. It's a really amazing, it's, but before there was a genre of books that were called fables or, or business storybooks, uh, mm. it was popular. And it's, just, it's about an accountant, excuse me, about a consultant. And it's called uh, The Goal, G-O-A-L, by Eli Goldratt. And it's about a consultant and uh, about a, a manager and the relationship they have and the growth that the the corporate person goes through and the problems they solve. And it's just a wonderful metaphor about life and help, will help any business person, I think, advance how they uh, keep things in perspective. Great book. Love, Love it. Love it. Awesome. Uh, having Dr. Todd Dewitt on the series and his new book, Live Hard, which is coming out in <laughs> uh, about four weeks. Four weeks is coming out. No, you've been an absolute joy, a real ball of energy and uh, just everything we wish, you know, humility, humanity and lovely humor. So thank you, Todd. It's been a real pleasure having you on the series. Ben and I have been honored to have you here. Thank you.
Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great stuff. Stay on the line, Todd. And um, to everyone that, uh, that's listened, thanks so much. And uh, see you next week. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.